lesson, continuing with 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4, 5, and 6. Again, Paul's self-awareness of how others may be perceiving him, and maybe it's our own self-awareness of thinking we're not sufficient to live the Christian life. Maybe these words will encourage you to. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Amen, dear saints. You may be seated. Must be a gravitational pull to this side, as this side is much more populated than this side. But I will scan the the beautiful congregation today um, with God's grace. So we're continuing in this lovely section of Second Corinthians, chapter three, now verses four to six. But before we go into it, as always, let's pray. Father, we come before you, thanking you that you approach us, your church, and speak the gospel of Jesus and his person to us. And then give us that uh, visible sign in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Thank you for your grace to us today. Feed us, Jesus, the full meal of the bread of life, for he alone is what we need and we must have him. Nothing else will suffice. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In my judgment, the absolute key to understanding 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, that great event that changed all of history from the triune God existing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in their divinity to the triune God existing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with the second person, the Christ, the Word of God, as both God and man. That changed everything. We live now in a new world, the new heavens, the new earth, the new universe, the new expression of the one great covenant of grace, which we're going to be looking at, Lord willing, next Sunday in the same chapter of Holy Scripture. Everything in chapter 3 and 4 hinges on this great cataclysmic event where God became man in the person of Jesus Christ, the hypostatic union, the divine being taking on humanity in the womb of Mary. Now, we might also rightly state in this beginning of the sermon that it is bookended, the incarnation is, with the glorious ascension of Jesus. So we have the incarnation leading to the death, resurrection, ascension of Christ in his body, where he is now reigning at the Father's right hand in his session from which place he sends down to the church ministers of a new covenant, which is the title of our sermon for today. Unless we really do grasp this marvelous historical redemptive occurrence of the incarnation, we're likely going to misunderstand and possibly misrepresent and interpret chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians. The ministers of a new covenant are fallen, then redeemed in Christ human men who are sent to the church by the risen and reigning King Jesus. Those ministers' role is to preach Christ and his gospel, Lord's Day to Lord's Day, and in so doing, 
equip the true saints of the church to actually do themselves the work of the ministry. That's what ministers do. They train you to do the work of the ministry, and that's all as per Ephesians 4, 10 through 14. Therefore, in this light, let us make it our gracious gospel goal this resurrection day to bless God for sending his ministers of a new covenant. Toward that end, we're going to be studying today 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 6. And obviously, this issue of sending the church a minister of the new covenant is especially pertinent and relevant for us, as even today, we're calling a congregational meeting to set up a pulpit search committee toward that very end. So we need to be certainly in prayer for them. The title, Ministers of a New Covenant, the Doctrine, the incarnated, ascended Christ creates ministers of a new covenant. I really couldn't think of a better word than creates. And there is a sense in which that's true. This new world is expressed in this wonderful, miraculous event of the gospel and the proclamation of it that shares with the whole world heaven itself in the person of Jesus Christ. Having ascended to the Father's right hand, the Lord Christ bonds himself in, on, and to his ministers of a new covenant in such a way that he makes them sufficient in him, Christ alone, of course, even as verse 6a of our text for today explicitly states. Indeed, the incarnated, ascended Christ creates ministers of a new covenant by fulfilling in himself the covenant of grace. Now, this magnificent truth that Jesus Christ alone fulfilled the covenant of grace will help us comprehend all of Paul's later teaching in chapter 3, especially about the ministry of death, the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of condemnation, and the ministry of righteousness. And you might have already discerned that these are parallel and analogous expressions, and we'll study that later, Lord willing. So ministers of a new covenant are men who now preach Christ even from the old covenant scriptures, keeping the context in mind. Indeed, anyone who does not preach Christ from all the parts of the Bible, now that Jesus has fulfilled all the law, the ceremonies, and all the types and shadows, and has done it all for us, one who does not preach Christ in that Bible is indeed preaching a ministry of death or a ministry of condemnation. Now, that doesn't deny the fact that there used to be, in the Old Covenant, a legitimate and God-honoring sense in which the Old Covenant was itself a type of ministry of death and ministry of condemnation as it awaited the consummation of the Son of God being incarnated into this world, creating this new and glorious dynamic. But now that the God-man is here, all things are radically changed and altered. The whole world is different. It's a different world. We live in a new universe, one reigned over by a man at the Father's right hand who is also God. His name is Jesus Christ. The incarnated, ascended Christ creates ministers of a new covenant by fulfilling in himself the covenant of grace, whereby he thoroughly satisfied the righteousness of God. Now, we might appropriately say that the righteousness and wrath of God against sin was fully satisfied, and that would indeed be fitting. But in every possible way, every conceivable way, 
Indeed, the incarnated Son of God satisfied the righteousness of God, especially in regard to setting all things right after the fall of man into sin. That fall, that terrible event in the Garden of Eden, required the incarnation of the Son of God. If any human beings created in the image of God would indeed be saved, redeemed, forgiven, atoned for, and indeed he did that. But also, in this very glorious fact of satisfying the righteousness of God, the Son of God attained the highest glory possible for the triune deity that could ever be achieved. God is so great, and there's a level of glory so magnificent it could be achieved, and it was in the person of Jesus Christ who fulfilled all God's righteousness for us and for the glory of his Father and the Spirit. And then in this resplendent glow of what the Messiah did, Christ sends down to earth his ministers of a new covenant who bring with them the gospel message of the kingdom of heaven or God as this great kingdom is over all to this planet below. And then, as alluded to earlier, this preaching uh, by the ministers of a new covenant creates ministering disciples of Jesus who are in his true church, who then go out into their worlds as beloved transforming agents of miraculous gospel grace, all in Christ alone. All of this is the result of and his, of his Christ's reward for what he, Jesus, did for us, his cherish and elect church, as he shed his precious blood for us and rose from the dead for our justification. Let's do some explanation, exegesis of these amazing verses, 4 to 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and learn how ministers of a new covenant function, F-U-N-C-T-I-O-N. Now, by function, we especially mean By what power, commission, and authority are we as ministers of a new covenant able to do what we do? And the answer to that question is largely found in the three verses that make up today's scripture lesson. And therefore, without further ado, let us now discover how ministers of a new covenant function. First, through a confirming union with Christ, verse 4. Such is the confidence we have through Christ toward God. Now, what is this confidence about which Paul is speaking? I like the way Elder Craig folded that in, too. It is the confirming ministry that he shared with the Corinthian parish, cited especially in verse 3 of this passage earlier. In other words, the very fact that the Corinthian church heeded Paul's preaching of the gospel of Jesus and then received his practical exhortations and lived in the light of that gospel grace helped establish the context for Paul to write what he did here in verse 4. But having said that, it should still be strongly noted that Paul's absolute assurance in Christ was independent even of that. Even if the Corinthians had not done well, had been disobedient, had been recalcitrant, Paul could still say this in verse 4, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Paul, an established minister of Christ, understood to some extent this amazing fact, but he would only do so in the concept of union with God, union with Christ, being in Christ. 
And so the Christian life can only be lived as we are in Christ, as we're united with him as his bride, as we eat the bread and drink the wine of the Lord's Supper, as we hear gospel words, as we ingest Jesus Christ, as he's part of us. He is our food. And indeed, in particular, for being a spirit-credentialed minister of a new covenant, union with Christ is absolutely essential. So how ministers of a new covenant function? Through a confirming union with Christ and through a sovereign calling from God, verses 5 through 6a. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Those are loaded verses and important ones, aren't they? Verse and a half. The first part of verse 5 is relatively easy. We have elucidated in the past, and we'll do it again here, that in ourselves we have no capacity at all. No credentials, no calling, no power, no ability, nothing. We're absolutely dead and lost and completely empty. All of our sufficiency comes from God through Jesus Christ, as the second part of verse 5 says. Do you see that word all there? Not some, not most, not the majority. All the sufficiency for a minister of the new covenant comes to us through Christ. Lord's Day to Lord's Day, week by week, ministry by ministry, pastor to pastor. These young men who are training for pastorates, they know this. All our sufficiency is from Christ. Now let's talk a little bit about the first part of verse 6, which is quite interesting. It closes out our subpoint. The Holy Spirit is communicating there, and just for your reference, I'll read it again who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. So all of our ministry is coming from this glorious and wonderful Lord that we've been speaking of. Paul has said that in this lofty writing of his, that the ministers of the new covenant now have before them, and this is the key point, the fullness of the gospel in the person of the incarnated, crucified, risen, ascended, and now reigning God-man, Jesus Christ. That is why we have this sufficiency, because of the reality that has happened and is established in heaven in the new temple, if you will, of God. We're going to be talking about that as well, the church. And because of this dramatic and really new reality, We are now ministers of a new covenant. We are new creatures in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 It's a new covenant in the full measure of the Holy Spirit given in fullness at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. All these wonderful, glorious fullnesses of the new covenant. The letter that Paul talks about here is a reference to the written Old Covenant Word of God, even the very law of God. We grant that, especially in its pre-Christ incarnated state, if I may say it that way. But a lot more needs to be said about that, and we'll seek to elucidate it a little bit here at verse 6b. So, how ministers of a new covenant function? Through a confirming union with Christ, a sovereign calling from God, 
And finally, through the gospel promise of God, verse 6b. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, when the Apostle Paul writes that the, quote, letter kills, he is not teaching us that the Old Covenant Scriptures nor the Old Covenant Law Code is bad or that it is to be despised, forsaken, or looked down upon by us in the New Covenant. Some people have made that mistake. In this very regard, I would reference for you a very important verse, and that's Romans 7:12, where Paul repudiates that thought. What does Paul mean then here? Well, he does mean that the law of God, which is perfect in every way, and is established by the Holy God and is a necessary fact in a created world, it does, the law of God does condemn and kill all of us fallen sinners. And the reason that's true is it is impossible for us to keep it or even come remotely close to keeping it. And that is the curse of the fall, isn't it? That we think that we have to be saved by performance, by deeds, by acts, by law, by what we do. That's the curse of all false religion. That's the exact opposite of the true gospel. The true gospel has nothing to do with what we do. We are completely, utterly passive in the reception of the grace of God in regeneration. We do nothing. All we are doing is walking around as dead, lost, rebellious sinners, and the holy, sovereign, electing God comes upon us and does a great work. Ryan preached out of Genesis 21 today over in Hannah City, and he made a brilliant point that in Genesis 15, when God passed through the sacrificed animals, Abraham wasn't doing anything, sleeping, totally passive. He wasn't awake. Abraham wasn't saved by works, by law, by performance. He was saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the, the Lamb of God who would come and who did come. And now we live on the other side of that glorious covenantal equation in the new covenant age. The law, there simply is a good thing. But the law possesses no power to save us. It can't redeem us. It can't help us in this way. All the law does is condemn us. But that's not all bad by any stretch of the imagination because according to the Holy Scripture, especially Galatians 3.24, for even the elect to be drawn sovereignly by God's Holy Spirit to himself, God has so ordained it that they would be convicted of their sin, that they would understand themselves to be nothing but sinners, completely unrighteous, no goodness at all. We're going to have the Lord's Supper here, Lord willing, a little while. And one of the major requirements is that you have to be that kind of a sinner. You have to understand that you don't possess any righteousness. All of your righteousness is from Christ, received by grace through faith. It's imputed righteousness. And it's a beautiful and glorious and happy and holy thing. The conviction of sin, the Holy Spirit working, the preaching of the gospel, now, quote, gives life, verse 6b. And this is what we mean by this phrase, gospel promise. We're in the gospel age. More about this will be coming up, Lord willing, in the subsequent sermons out of this glorious chapter 3 
of 2 Corinthians, but we needed to address this now before we go any further. Well, now, as always, let's do a little more application this morning and seek to understand why both the church and the world require ministers of a new covenant today. Now, you know the world hates these true pastors, right? I don't blame them. I've, I've said this before. If I didn't love Jesus, I'd hate me too. And you'd probably be right to do that. I don't blame people for hating true ministers of the gospel. You know, the world has a gospel. It tells us everybody's okay. Everybody's fine. God is nice. God doesn't judge anybody. God doesn't care. Do what you want. God's just the celestial Santa Claus hoping that you'll give him a few crumbs somewhere along the line. It's all a false gospel. The problem with that demonic gospel, it sounds good on the, on the front end, right? Oh, God is nice. God doesn't send anybody to hell. God doesn't care. I can do what I want. The problem with it is, first of all, everyone created in the image of God intuitively knows that's false. Second of all, even worse, for a being created in the image of God who is elect, that gospel will never satisfy, especially after they come under the conviction of sin. And they know the wrath and doom and rage of God against sin. Rightly so. That gospel won't work. They will seek peace, forgiveness, and comfort, but they won't find it in that gospel. They'll find it only in the blood of Jesus Christ alone, risen from the dead. Otherwise, they live under that torment. And because, dear saints, there are many elect people in Peoria County, in other counties, and counties around here, all over the world, that are not yet regenerated, it is certainly true and appropriate that we would look into why both the church and the world require ministers of a new covenant today. Because God communicates Christ and his gospel grace through them. Now, this is not a popular doctrine today, not in the liberal places, not in the evangelical places, not in the feel-good places. Nobody likes this doctrine. It's really offensive that God calls ministers to preach the gospel to them. But it's clearly the teaching of the written word of God. And the verses I reference for you on your outline there are more than sufficient to establish that fact. It is true, and it's granted, that God could, if he wanted to, have used angels, celestial angels, to come down here and preach the gospel. Or if God wanted to, he could have written the gospel in the sky in everybody's language so that they can read it. Or he could, if he had wanted to, even caused a book, even the Bible itself, to preach itself. But God didn't do any of that. God insists on using fallen human beings like me, like you, the ones who do the work of the ministry, to share in this co-gospel labor. He insists on honoring, dignifying, and crowning you with this glorious work, even as per Philippians 4.3. Now, it is true, and this must be stated, that not every Christian person is called to the office of minister of a new covenant. That is an office, and that is true. Not every Christian person is called to that. It's a, it's a hard role. It's a great calling. 
um, but not everybody's called to it. But all regenerated Christian churchmen are called, and by men I mean in this case men, women, boys, and girls, to the privilege, responsibility, and distinction of being those who do, quote, the work of the ministry. In other words, you take what you hear here, what you're fed here, and you take it into your worlds and feed the world in your ministry. And some of you are doing that in dramatic and very practical ways, inviting friends to church. Ephesians 4.12a is an example of that. So why both the church and the world require ministers of a new covenant today? Because God communicates Christ and his gospel grace through them. And without Christ, there is no life, hope, purpose, or being. And by the way, when I say being, I really mean that in the absolute and ultimate sense. If there was no Christ, there would be no God, because the true and only God is triune, and the Son of God is the Christ, the Word of God, who became flesh. This is the greatest proof of the existence of God is the gospel. Really, it's interesting. Once we understand the gospel, we say, oh, ontological proof, eh. Cosmological proof, okay. Teleological proof, all right. But the evangel gospel truth, that is powerful. Proves to us who are in Christ Jesus that must be. Indeed, it is true. But really, dears, what for us would being or existing be if there was no true life, hope, joy, purpose. That's not really life. You know, the Bible doesn't describe that as life. It just describes that as existence, death. Zoe life, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, Zoe. I came to give life, Zoe, is miraculous supernatural life. There's especially for you who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You could never go back to the drivel and dust and ashes and foolishness of false gospels again. You could never do it. It's actually impossible for you who are truly in Christ to do it. You'll never do it. I don't even worry about that. That's not going to happen. If you're regenerated, it's going to happen. You know that there is hope and purpose and life and grace and goodness all in Christ. But, dears, do we understand that this lostness, this hopelessness, this purposelessness, this complete negation of life or even any understanding of it is the experience and practical daily existence of every human being who is outside of Jesus Christ in truth, whether they are professing Christians or not. And, of course, we know there are many professing Christians that are not regenerate, and they don't have that life. But did you know that you and I were in that position too? We were there. And some of us can very easily remember those days. Some of you have been raised in covenant families from your youth up, and you never remembered that in that sort of experiential way. And that is a great grace and mercy. But even you can look into your hearts and see that you are wretched sinners. And there was a time when you, after your conception, were also under the wrath of God and the judgment of God. Because even all the elect were, until that sovereign spirit came upon us and brought us new life. But, dears, doesn't this give us compassion for poor, lost, hopeless sinners? 
And doesn't it also give us a context for understanding how to live in the world? So when you see weird things happening in the world, who cares? Really, it's just people doing what they're trying to do to have something, some meaning, some uniqueness, some distinction, something to live for, something to attach themselves to. We ought to have compassion on them. They're poor, lost sinners. And Jesus Christ came here not to save good people, religious people, righteous people, people that keep the law, people that are ethical, people that think they're better than others, people that look down their noses at others. He came here to save sinners. Like every one of you who are redeemed and regenerate today were and still are in the sense that you have yet within you the flesh nature. It gives us compassion, dears, to rejoice at being vested with the glorious privilege and responsibility of sharing and confirming and completing the work of the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So we talked about that letter that kills, didn't we? If the letter of God's word by the Holy Spirit has killed you, has condemned you, has rendered you uselessly hopeless before a holy God, and then he has, commensurate with that, as the Spirit always works in his elect, redeemed you, giving you Jesus, all hope, grace, love, and mercy, and kindness, then you know the joy of this new life in Christ. You know that the Spirit has given you life. And all that life is in Jesus Christ alone, the giver of life. The one who shed his precious blood for us sinners and rose from the dead for our justification. Beloved ministers of a new covenant call on sinners everywhere, in the church and in the world, to embrace this glorious, beautiful, resplendent, unique, and absolutely wonderful Jesus Christ by faith. Let us thank God for ministers of a new covenant. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for ministers of a new covenant. Thanking you that you send them down. You always have ever since the fall of man in the garden. You have always done it in the old covenant and the new covenant. But now in the new covenant, we're ministers of a new covenant. Totally fulfilled in the person of the God-man, Jesus Christ. We thank you for him. Now, we sanctify our hearts to you in Christ Jesus to believe these truths and to embrace Jesus in the word and now in the sacrament. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.